there, everybody. Welcome to the Long Con, the podcast that takes a look at the erosion of Republican representative democracy and the absolute collapse of Western civilization. My name is Paul Trainer. I'm your host. Glad to have uh, Jeff Rogers back with us here again. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I, it takes an informative and uh, and lighthearted look. Yeah, there, there. That's, that's, I, that's the, what I forgot. The critical aspect. I always of it. forget yeah. that. Yeah, the lighthearted. Yeah, I got to lead with that. I'm circling around a tagline here. I'm not yeah, anywhere. So you haven't no. quite nailed it just yet, but you you really are. You got. I think the elements are there. It's just putting them in the right order. Yeah. Well, we had a, a lot of fun uh, last time talking about the uh, uh, ten stages of the long con. Yeah. Uh, it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And um, so, uh, lest you have uh, improved your mood since last we spoke, we thought we would have you back here to uh, take us through the. Uh, ten facets of the war on democracy. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is a lot of fun. After I um, I came out of my little ball yeah. uh, from learning how many uh, cons I had fell for. Yeah, uh, I uh, I got some therapy and I'm feeling much better. Good. So to set this up a little bit, um, we talked about the con, and that's basically how uh, you know the powers that be that want to maintain these settled interests are kind of getting one over on all of us. And uh, as we uh, say in the business world, now they're able to do it at scale. And that's yeah. really what we're talking about that's here is, you know, the long con at scale. And, uh, you know, the scale is the entire American people have been led down this rabbit hole, this kind of bizarro world, alternate reality where um, by I believe that uh, traditional conservatism really has been turned on its head and, and liberalism too, quite honestly, the Democrats, I mean, the, the lines are shifting back and forth, but all movement goes towards the um vast inequality of wealth you know that hockey stiff right. curve we've seen uh the increasing uh uh gap the wealth equality gap is huge and um also the um the lack of regulation and the attack on uh government structures so if we have the approach in the uh, 10 stages of the long con these 10 facets of the war on democracy are are what um i believe uh, is kind of demonstrably happening and the point of the show will be to show where and how and to have discussions about it but um, one thing that I wanted to uh, say up front is that I think when you have these discussions, you can go off track. So I kind of feel like, you know, these are the rails we stay in between, our facets and our stages. And I'm putting these 10 facets up, not as the conclusive, this is absolutely the way that it is and what happened. I, I believe that's the case, but I am wanting to present it more as a scientific hypothesis. So if you want to kick the tires and I'm wrong, you know, we can go back and we can revisit this and, um, and where we're wrong, we'll admit it. Where we're off, we can see it. But at least this is a discussion tool to hold us accountable and hopefully at least a little on track. Yeah, I think of it as an exploration. Are, are they going to? Oh, there, there it is. Okay, that's the so time that's right it. There. The billionaires yeah, that's are all here. the time we have. <laughs> are we done already? Uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. Wow. Um, so, uh, but no, real quick, uh, with this being an exploration, uh, it's good to have those other voices to kind of give signposts of, hey, this is what we think over here, or this is what I think over here. All right, so let's talk about the the, the 10 facets of the attack on democracy. So uh, facet number one, uh, the shadow state. is a comprehensive and powerful group built in stealth uh, over the last 70 years, which right. preaches liberty, but practices control. Intriguing, isn't it? It is. You like that? Yeah. Yeah, put a little, uh, you know, kind of cliffhanger button on that. <laughs> so, sure, let's call it that. So what is the, the shadow state? A, a group of uh, core, uh, very, very wealthy families um, that have a very clear philosophy on the world that can basically be broke down into get rid of regulation, dismantle government and government services, 
and slash taxes on the wealthy. And that that is kind of the the, the, the goal of the shadow state and the the, um, the driving, uh, what would you call that? The um, Their reason to be, yeah, raison d'etre. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, God, I can't believe we both went for that same, you know. Almost literally at the same yeah, moment, too. Really I think your accent was a little better, though. I thought, I'll, no, I'll give you no, points I, on that. We'll let the people decide. Um, uh, that's my French accent. I just throw a consonant in every now and then, uh, uh, amongst the phlegmy well, that, parts. That's like the uh, waiting for uh, Guffman of like you know doing the British accent. Just drop the initial consonant sound. So he's like, "Hello, how are you?" Do you remember that? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> when you're doing a Cockney accent. Um, all right. So there's a difference between the deep state mm-hmm. that we hear a lot about recently. Right. Um, these are the people working in the background, uh, longtime bureaucrats who are. Uh, controlling things one way or the other, that they are in control. They're in cahoots with each other. Yes. Uh, this is the, the theory, right? That of this is deep the state. Yeah. That they are in cahoots with each other. And Trump has said this quite a bit in terms of they are working together against his policies and they're working yeah. to, to, to get to get rid of him. him. Yeah, yeah. They're all, it's a, it's a conspiracy to overturn the duly elected president of the United States. This group who has been buried for years, but are actually in charge of right. everything. The problem with that yeah. um, is that, uh, have you ever gotten four people together to decide on the same restaurant for dinner? <laughs> Right. I mean, it is it is incredibly difficult to get a large group of people to all kind of see things the same way and do things uh, in a way that is in line with everything that they believe. So this idea of being able to control the deep state. Uh, it, to me, kind of falls apart in the reality of. It. You're right. The, the, the root of it is this conspiracy theory that, like these these groups that can barely hold their shit together, are somehow organizing behind Incredibly the scenes. Incredibly organized. Right. And, yeah. and you know this kind of a, this kind of paranoia um, that exists in American culture, and, and I think it's important to say this uh, here is that, you know, I've seen stats that as high as 45 percent of Americans do not believe in natural selection. Uh, meaning they have a, a, a creationist or oh, yeah. uh, intelligent yeah, yeah. design view of the way that the planet started. Right. And so for this, you know, almost half of Americans with this very significant voting block is how easy it is to have that initial distrust and concern about that morph into, oh, well, if they're lying to you about, you know, evolution and, and geology, then, you know, why are they, wouldn't they be lying to you about climate change, right? So the deep state is that idea of that large conspiracy of many people acting in concert yes. together uh, to achieve specific goals. The shadow state is something that if we look through history, yes. we can identify numerous times that a shadow state was in charge of uh, a given state. If you look to um, the, the classic ones are the uh, in, in Italy, um, the, um, uh, oh, the, ch- the, the family Roman Catholic Church. No, no. Well, no, no. Less. Oh, Illuminati. The, well, the Illuminati yeah, is sort like of the, that, the, the, that, the, yeah, the tinfoil hat version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as soon as uh, you no, know, you got to well, say it now. It. It's going to bother me now. All right. So, but the idea of a small group of yeah. wealthy people who are a step behind, i.e., in the shadow, uh, whispering yes. in the ear of leadership, having control over that leadership, or exerting some level of control, is kind of my understanding of what the shadow state is more about. Basically, the period we're looking at is from post-World War, so late 1940s and 50s right. to now. There is an ideology that's based around free market, you know, capitalism, laissez-faire yeah. capitalism, that they've all uh, glommed onto and have built a structure, an infrastructure, by which they basically have their own alternate version of governance. These groups have started to um, 
plant seeds and candidates and cultivate and groom people at like school board level, municipal office levels. I mean, they have a very top-down um, uh, uh, ideology. So they preach this idea that get the federal government out of it. We don't want to have that. Everybody's an individual. Everybody can make their own choice. But in reality, they're actually cultivating and spending literally billions and billions of dollars to cultivate an organization that can help orchestrate and train and install people that share their ideology at the smallest levels of government all over the country. This has always existed, this, this shadow state in, yeah, in our history. version of it. This, yeah, yeah right, right, exactly. What has happened in the last 70 years is like many things in our society, it is coalesced into this really super high functioning targeted approach that Mm -hmm. is having way more impact and being able to work operationally on a whole nother level than what we had seen in the past in, in some of these different governments and some of these different, um, you know, wealthy families who were able to exert that kind of, uh, pressure and control that said the reality of it, as opposed to the deep state, Mm -hmm. which is conspiracy based and all of those things. The reality of it is these are people who are effectively, even back in time, working for a goal that a personal uh, individual sort of uh, benefit that they receive from this, as opposed to this nebulous sort of deep state thing. Untrustworthy people, motives. Yeah, and, you know, they're exactly. out to get you and they're, yeah, and they're exactly right. shift everything. So that, and that's what I think, uh, you know, when you hear things like shadow state, yeah. um, and, uh, and all the things that go along with it, i.e. spending billions of dollars. Well, no one's spending billions of dollars, Paul. Yeah. yeah. But the reality is if you have hundreds of billions of dollars, one or two billion ain't that much. Yeah, what's a couple bill here and there? Yeah, and you're also, uh, you're getting so much for it that it's the value of that, the ROI, the return on your investment is huge. So yeah, yeah I will spend that money because eventually that will equal hundreds of billions of more dollars. Exactly, and I think that is uh, very well said. I think it leads perfectly into uh, the second yeah. facet. Yeah, so that, and it really does because the second facet is this, um, idea of billionaire oligarchs. And so this is the shadow state is funded by and controlled by a handful of unelected billionaires who don't want to pay taxes or have their businesses regulated. Well, that's crazy talk. Paul. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I know. Well, you know, we know that all of this exists and right. certainly, you know, every time you bring up, you know, a Betsy DeVos or, or, you know, uh, a member of the Ricketts family or a Mercer or a Scaife or a Bradley or whatever, um, people are going to come back and say, well, there's, you know, uh, um, what's his name? Who's the boogeyman of on the, oh, Soros, George Soros. Yeah, yeah, Soros. You know, and Buffett and all these sort of things. But I think your point is well taken, which is what, what agenda are they pushing? Does the agenda, the political ideology, line up completely with their own personal interests every step of the way? Is it something that, if implemented, will benefit them uh, wildly disproportionately? And, uh, right. and and hit all of the boxes they need to further their power and wealth? Or is it something that uh, is based on an ideology of, of any form of, uh, of collective benefit? Or any right, sort of, uh, or um, even altruism. 
right? Altruistic. Right. These family foundations have become largely weaponized. So what they're able to do is they're able to avoid estate taxes as they pass on this generational wealth right. by, um, like there's an instance in Jane Meyer's Dark Money, I think it was the Scaife family, but they had a $50 million uh, family inheritance that was going to be subject to a huge death tax. Mm -hmm. But they wrote legislation that if the income off that, if the, 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 the profit generated off that was donated to charity over the course of the next 20 to 25 years, and all of that was given away, then they could have the principal untouched, right? Huh. Which seems like a great deal. You got 50 million, you're gonna generate however that much, maybe 50 million over 20 years, another 50 yeah. million, 10, 20, 30 million. You're gonna spend every penny of it. You're not gonna keep a penny for yourself. Right. You're gonna keep that, uh, all of that going. You're gonna benefit society through whatever you wanna yeah. do, and then you're gonna have that money left over. So it seems fair, right? What's happened in uh, more recent times is, these family foundations, of which there are many, many, you know, sure. you can find the, you know, DeVos Family Foundation. There's a bunch of them we'll talk about. They create a 501c3 family foundation, put the money into that. So they're basically donating to a charity, which is them, and they have charity status, but now they're using that money to push a political agenda. Right. So they're basically weaponizing philanthropy in order to advocate actively by spending the hundreds of millions of dollars they have to spend to create policies that will then uh, lead back to their own pockets and not only protect their initial egg, but will create huge windfalls down the road in, in the long cons, you know, final freezing maneuver. Wait a minute. <laughs> what? I know, They're shocking. Acting in, inappropriately with their <laughs> with their billions of dollars? Yeah, and the part of the actual uh, thing that is a long con is that uh, this uh, very small group, and, and when we talk to Nancy McLean next week, uh, she talks about this a lot in Democracy, Democracy in Chains, which is a phenomenal read. Yeah. But that basically, when the true agenda of this very wealthy class is laid before the American people, which is get rid of social security, get rid of welfare, get rid of healthcare, get rid of public education, you know, get rid of regulations and environmental protections, get rid of taxes on the wealthy, you know, make it a pay as you go privatized, you know, country. Um, that's such a terrifying draconian view that nobody holds, right? 90%, 95% of Americans in individual basis vote against all of the policies that they truly want to advocate. Right. And so they've had to create this framework where, no, it's about liberty. It's about fighting communism. It's about rugged individualism. It's about all of these different things. And that's how they dress it up. Yeah, I was just going to say, isn't it interesting how they utilize that iconography and that, that language in order to make it appear as something else. But when you get down to it, when you get down to the brass tacks of what that legislation will do, what that uh, that modality will do, it is a not benefit, not a benefit to the group, to the whole, right. uh, but beneficial for for a very select group. Yeah, and it's been and it's all based on you know we saw this with the Betsy uh, DeVos you know confirmation hearings as our education secretary you know individuals are the ones who should make the decisions. Parents should make the decisions regarding their schools, you know, their children's schooling. Right. You know, the schools shouldn't make that. The government shouldn't make that. Individuals should choose, you know, whether they're going to pay taxes or give to charity or whatever they're going to do. Um, that sounds great in principle. And in theory, we could probably all agree. But what they don't say is that they want to remove all, um, all checks against them giving bad information to those individuals to make those decisions. Right. So with school choice, so yes, a parent can decide what's best for them. And if I lie to them and tell them that what I have is exactly what they want, they can choose that free will. And, you know, it's just a part of the capitalist market-based system. Absolutely. Everybody has their 
has their ability to choose. Right. That's, yeah. That's and, their and free will. We are a country of rugged individualism, right? That's the right. whole thing. I don't want a monarch. I don't want, you know, anybody telling me what to do. And it's led to this kind of, you know, um, types of things where not only do I um, uh, do I not need anyone to tell me, but if anyone who is expert in this area, you know, uh, intellectual elites, you know, whatever, are going to come along and tell me something, then, um, boy, they're just, you know, trying, they think they're better than me. They think they're smarter than me. But when what they're telling is the truth and you've got this huge amount of money saying, no, 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 you're right. Trust your feelings. You got it. You're smart. You're the individual. You know, um, it's it's very, very hard, probably impossible for the average person to uh, either see that or combat it. Well, and I think the Democratic Party fell into that hole a little bit uh, this past election cycle, uh, the one prior in 2016, in terms of a little bit of that. Well, you can't possibly vote for Trump. I mean, because, right. you know, this is illogical. You wouldn't ever right. do that. And and. It came back to obviously have the uh, end result that it did, but it was right. that sort of mode of thinking uh, that that brought it to that place. I think so. Um, yeah. Just quick update on the um, name of the Italian Renaissance family who oh, ran yes. Italy. The Medici's. That's what I was ah! thinking of. Thank you. When you said that. I all of a sudden. Ah. Hit me, sorry. Killing the me. Medici's. How do you say it? Uh, yes, you say it both ways. Um, so that's, <laughs> but uh, that was an example of that uh, sort of sh- shadow state uh, uh, concept. Well, let's, uh, yeah, let's take time talking about the Medici's because that would not be a digression. Yeah, at no, all, right? not, not at all. Yeah, I, I was you're, moving you're past. Me, I just you're not had here to, to bring the Medici's to the table here. All right. <laughs> I, I, it was going to bother me for the rest yeah. of this whole <laughs> thing. I wasn't even going to be thinking about Okay, I can't no, concentrate. It's definitely worth a Google after we get done. Um, all right. So uh, the next one. The or next, if you play Assassin's Creed, you kind of know all about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Everything I need to know. I learned in Assassin's Creed. It's really all, and and not the movie. No, no, you gotta you gotta play the game. And not the um, first game. Assassin's Creed Three is really the highlight. <laughs> you know. Well, welcome anyway, to gamers. Of three, yeah, exactly. gamers with a Z. Uh, the Policy Combine. This is a vast network of think tanks, nonprofits, media outlets, academic institutions, and social groups that exist exclusively to carry the water for these billionaire oligarchs. So. Uh, let me see if I if I kind of understand this, which is the basically the idea that if you're going to have this concept that um, you want to put out there and have everybody repeating and have people thinking about mm-hmm. and believing in, you've got to have a way to do it. There's got to be a vehicle uh, mm-hmm. to enable that sort of marketing, right? Exactly. Uh, and and that's what this policy combine is. But it, yeah. is that? I mean, again, when you start spreading things out so widely, right. you start thinking tin hat, the tinfoil hat thing. Well, yeah. How does that work? Why, why would that work? One thing is, is that as all things in life, there's so much complexity and nuance to things and detail yeah. that as soon as you start to talk about something, you know, if I talk to you for four minutes without stopping about any of this, I'm going to sound like a tinfoil hat person because it's just going to be like, what is he going on about? And, you know, you start to spin out because it's such a big picture. Right? And the fact that you're wearing a tin hat, <laughs> you're, you're literally right wearing that. It's really yeah, a that's hanger, also but off, it's off-putting. But, but do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, if, yeah, if you start right. going into this level of detail, people's eyes glaze over. They can't pay attention. So, you know, it's kind of hiding in plain sight. This is all what's going on. We know there are elements that are true, but it's an easy counter narrative to say, well, yes, there is the heritage. Foundation and American Enterprise, but they're not working together, you know, and there's, you know, foundations that Soros funds that are just as bad on the other side. Right, that false. Um, But there was, you know, a guy who saw, had a vision, you know, and that guy's name was Mo Green. No, that's not, it's not the Godfather, (laughs) but it was really Charles Koch, you know, 
Koch uh, really was a brilliant guy, is a brilliant guy. David has uh, passed away, but Charles is still living. But he kind of um, was the one who really was in charge of putting this together. And in a lot of ways, it's, you know, we even hear it described as the Cokedpus by a lot of people that describe all of these different networks. Really? Yeah, I think I've coined Policy Combine. This is something that I think I, I you made up that term uh, because... There's not something to call it, right? Like we can say all sides do it, but what we're talking about is something very, very specific. So and what that is, is it? Yeah. That is an ecosystem, an entire ecosystem of groups and organizations that exist solely to advocate for lower taxes and less regulation under the guise of freedom and liberty and policy decision-making, right? So again, all of their efforts ultimately stand to benefit these funders who, who fund them. And so I came to learn about this through uh, something called the Illinois Policy Institute in our neighborhood. They were injecting themselves into this local election. And I'm like, wait, what's going on here? I found out that they are part of this thing called the State Policy Network, which you can look up, spn.org. It's all over the country. They have affiliate groups, think tanks in every single state. They're all 501c3 nonprofit charities. Right. The Cokes is called Americans for Prosperity, right? So they have Americans for Prosperity and then the Americans for Prosperity Foundation. Americans for Prosperity is a 501c3 charity, so it can donate anything it wants as long as it's not political. It can, it can spend money to discuss policy right. or educate the public. The 501c4 can spend money, and they have a little bit more tax restrictions, but they can pump for candidates. And frequently, they'll be the same people in the same office. Sure. But they all work together, and they go to these conferences. The State Policy Network has several conferences every year. The Koch have their secret donor networks we've all heard about, right, where the billionaires come together. And even the billionaires have to turn over their phones because they don't want anybody to know what they're talking about inside. Um, but it's not just that. They, over time, basically created this kind of economic argument for uh, what they called neoliberalism, um, uh, uh, laissez-faire, you know, Adam Smith, the free hand of the market, and the idea that markets are self-correcting and ultimately ethical, that if we get government out of it, the free market will weed out the bad actors because they won't be able to stay in business if they're not, you know, operating on the up yeah. and up. So that was the starting point uh, right. uh, that gave a rationale. Yeah, what you see with... Uh, Cato and the State Policy Network and all these foundations is they are largely funded by billionaires as individuals or family foundations. There's a handful of probably 50, uh, you know, 30 to 50 uh, conservative family foundations that fund almost all of this like work. Like 90, 95 percent. So, uh, okay, so just to kind of... Was get, that helpful? It is. Uh, I just want to let listeners kind of take a mental breather here because um, that's a lot of information. So, Basically, what what it seems like. So see if I've got this right. So yeah. what it seems like is after World War II, uh, there was a little bit of a revelation in terms of the uh, economists who understood um, or who thought at the time who posited. Right. It was theoretical to a certain degree mm -hmm. uh, because capitalism, let's let's be honest, in the modern era was still being explored, was still being right. uh, sort of identified where the strengths and weaknesses are talked about this idea of the laissez-faire capitalism and the, the, the instruments through which um, more, uh, sort of a moral economy could be achieved. Yes. Right? And so you think about those two words together just for a moment, uh, morality and economy, uh, right? That, that you would not necessarily put together. And we've seen so many examples, especially in the modern times, of how that 
runs terribly awry right. with companies that believe that they're being moral or who are blatantly being immoral, right. uh, but have used that sort of uh, ideology as cover for what they're doing. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and to just say that it's not just individual actors, you know, they were funded by rich businessmen. Right. But they, they were natural academics who had their own view. There was They were, you know, Austrians and people from Chicago. Um, but um, basically, they were not viewed uh, in the 50s or 60s as being, you know, um, kind of mainstream or sensible. They were kind of viewed as kooks because the prevailing mindset was something, you know, called the uh, Keynesian economics. Sure. Which is that, you know, we, we build a government, we lay off the brakes and we try to benefit people and keep, you know, employment um, high, you know, and, and, and inflation low. And uh, they did not like uh, the post-war period, the 1950s, where we saw the explosion of the middle class, the biggest growth in, in history, 40 years almost of, of unchecked growth and expansion and uh, increasing uh, opportunities because, the t- do you know what the top uh, income effective tax rate was, the marginal top tax rate in the, in the Eisenhower era was? I want to say it was, wasn't it in like the, is the 90s wrong? It's not wrong. It seems crazy. 91%. Right? That's what I thought. Was the top marginal tax yeah. rate, income tax rate in the 1950s. And actually through the Kennedy administration, I think um, they brought it down to the 70, 70 right. something under, um, uh, 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 what's his name? LBJ. Yeah. But yeah, so that was it. They did not like that. But Koch and this small handful of guys saw that this was an idea that they could use to their benefit, these laissez-faire economics. And they also felt that that was the threat, right? It's not the Red Scare way over there. It's social democracy coming to America and where we have Medicare, Social Security, yeah. you know, health care for all. These are all things that they did not want. And they didn't, I mean, understandably, they didn't want to pay a 91% tax rate. And you could certainly make the argument that that was too high. But they wanted to get rid of it all. And this was a way that they were able to take what was traditional conservatism under Eisenhower, which is slow, incremental change, um, and low deficits, right? Because they all became huge deficit spenders and that they could go that way. And then really what they, they didn't find a a candidate to hitch their star to. They tried with Barry Goldwater uh, and and that didn't work, but really it was Ronald Reagan and the uh, kind of creation of uh, the perfect storm of Reaganomics, you know, trickle-down economics and all, was where yeah. this crackpot ideology, quite frankly, became mainstream, you know, economic theory. And, um, and, and we've seen the results that have followed, right? We've seen Republicans become huge deficit spenders. Reagan, W, Trump, you know, and, and these, this solution of tax cuts are the answer to everything. Less government, less regulation is the answer to everything. And, and if you think about that, it, just to kind of bring this back to the perfect combine, the policy uh, combine uh, concept is that, so if that is your goal, you're going to create right. this astroturf as opposed to grassroots, this astroturf right. of a lot of opinions, a lot of voices from right. different places, it seems like. Right. But in reality, you can find the funding coming from uh, very few uh, who are very specifically targeting these uh, organizations yeah. to put that message out there as loud as they can, as often as they can, to as many people as they can. Right. And if you look at the uh, the kind of origins of the, the, we won't go off on the sidetrack, but that's exactly what the the Tea Party was, right? That right. was, that was we've seen that. That was paid for um, by a lot of these very actors to get out there. And the Kochs funded tremendous amounts. And actually, I think that's a real divergence in American history because that's where... Um, we just stopped dealing in truth where they yeah. just started just lying, lying about Obama. Like if, if all I heard about Obama was what the tea party people hear when they listen to the think tanks, they like, they read the, the blogs, yeah. they see the an- analysis, they watch Fox news. 
I would think he was a horrible Kenyan socialist, racist, you know, closeted homosexual, whatever the hell all sure, these things were. Sure, who hates America. That hates America, yeah. right. That was, that, that's the only conclusion you could come to. But this was a, a long progression to get all of, we call that the foundation work, right, when we talk about the long con. This is building the foundation. The foundation work was putting all of these groups in place. Right. They fund all of the state policy network groups. They fund all of these, um, uh, you know, other kind of media outlets that, that do propaganda about that. But they fund universities, They've started to do that. Charles Koch saw the benefit of that, and so right. they started to fund universities, and they fund them primarily in their economics departments, but also in their legal departments. And they will actually, in a lot of universities, set up like a chair, right, where they have someone who's there to be the, you know, the free market um, professor of economics, right? And they'll they'll offer, they'll pay the university whatever amount of money to kind of create that position or to have that there, and then they will give scholarships to the most promising students who want to go and study there and have that. And again, this is not your local crazy college. This is Ivy League colleges. This is Stanford. This is Harvard. This is Duke. This is Ohio State. This is the Big Ten. It's it's hundreds of universities, and now they do that with the legal department. So the Federalist Society, which put you know Trump's judges in the rubber stamp judges, these are all coming out of this same combine, and they have uh, what they call now donor advised funds for wealthy people out there. These donor advised funds you may have heard of. It means you put your money into a charity, and you have people that will let manage that money for you, and that these financial people will then make sure that it's addressing issues you care about. So they will bring you little pamphlets. Sure, of here's what you could right. support, and this is what you could do. So this is a whole ecosystem that's taking this money, creating it, and you can't trace it. You know, because of the tax reporting laws, right? It becomes it becomes invisible. It becomes laundered. But these groups are making tons of money, and these top analysts and and you know the CEOs of these think tanks are making tons of money. But they have all of this control that goes from the school to the politics to the analysis. So it makes you think, and and so you're getting into an area where you're where it's starting to sound right. You start a little sizzle starting to have me see a little steam coming it, from the ears. It's also it's overwhelming. Right. Yeah, when you start thinking about the size of that and what it would take to kind of run that. But it, it's not something that was just created. This has been, like, as you said, this has been building over time. This has been steadily built over time. And right. it's an infrastructure now. It, it's not just a I'm plopping this down on top of what exists. It is part of the uh, fabric of uh, our process now and, and statewide, uh, federally mm -hmm. and in the education system as well just kind of weaving back to the idea of the con uh, is this idea of the foundation work, right? So they've right. created this uh, environment uh, that they can leverage, that they can put their lever in and create a wedge. And they've put the people together. As you said, they're, they're starting to groom them from uh, college age on up, uh, literally to fund them from college on mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, who doesn't want that, right? If I go into this way, then there's money to be had. I can make a living. I can do all the things I want to achieve. And I don't necessarily have these beliefs at the beginning, maybe, but I come to agree with them because of all the decisions I'm making on the path. Right. And so now I'm at a point where I'm a, an adult. I've got a family. I've got a house. I've got right. all these things. I'm not going to back down from where I am with this right? Um, because that defines who I am. Right. And most of the people that work for the Policy Combine are probably well-intentioned, patriotic, you know, um, liberty-loving individuals sure. who just happen to believe that this is the right mindset. But I just think that the evidence shows that behind that, there is always a group and always a small little bit that is not telling you the truth. You know, right. why, why do billionaires have to put their phones in a bowl when they go into here, you know, the Coke speak? Yeah. You know, why does that sort of thing happen? And yeah. that's where the con is, is happening. 
at that, so, at that high level. At that high level, and and on a on a on a breadth that at is scale. at scale exactly. <laughs> that is that is all around us. Um, the next one is free market fundamentalism, uh, which is an unsupported belief that free markets are inherently ethical and self-correcting and can't be corrupted by individual bad actors. And that's just been proven wrong again and again and again, right? Well, that's why BP went out of business, right? Because they were, you know, polluting the environment. Right. Yeah, of right, course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you know, Massey Mines. I literally right, just yeah, looked at I know, you like, kind of blank uh, stare. was did, this a, uh, did, did I miss an update? Yeah, did did I, I, maybe them? I've been on news vacation too long. Yeah, it's, it, it is patently false. And it's almost like magical thinking, you know, and a lot of times the, the knock on, you know, the more, um, uh, you know, liberal, you know, kind of, uh, you know, wishy-washy, gray, nuanced positions is that, you know, oh, this is idealistic and we can't do this. But, you know, this notion of this free market uh, fundamentalism, uh, I mean, it really is like a religious creed almost. Right. It's 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 faith based. It's 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 based on it's based on logic. Right. They make logical arguments, which we can talk about in the later ones. But, you know, they they have these are simply like common sense that this is how things work. And what common sense means is that this is the sense of things that we have in common. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And so it's it's uh, yeah, it's kind of flawed from its uh, on its face. You know, the the idea in a perfect world is, hey, if if I'm selling a widget and you're selling a widget and they're equally good widgets, you're selling for three, I'm selling for five. I'm going to buy that one, right? Theoretically. Yeah. yeah. If, if I'm selling a widget and I'm, you know, um, you know, killing, you know, babies and, and otters to, you know, make my widget and this person's making them out of, you know, biodegradable, you know, whatever materials, you're going to buy that one because it's more ethical. But again, it, it, there's a couple of things. It, it, it certainly gives consumers a little more benefit of the doubt than we deserve because I have an iPhone. I have socks that cost, you know, $4 that probably were made in a sweatshop in China, right? They are so beautiful, though. They're beautiful. You, There's that, com- but, the, but this complicity, right? As consumers, there is right. complicity. Like, we can't get around that. But um, um, but so, th- so the idea that somehow the market will ultimately regulate itself and weed out and punish bad actors um, is just not consistent with the reality. You know, it's a, no, a pie-in-the-sky worldview. Not at all. But it's the foundation of their economic uh, um, uh, creed. Right, and we hear about the the huge uh, blow-ups when that doesn't work, right? The Enrons, uh, uh, the, the uh, who was MCI, right? The uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, we hear about those, and we oh, well, those guys, those stand out. Those are the bad ones. Right. Every single year, there are huge fines paid by these companies, right. and by huge, huge on our standards, not huge on their no. corporate, uh, uh, you know, revenue standards. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a mere, it's a cost to doing business. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but you see these incredible uh, fines that are levied and they just accept. Look what Volkswagen just did right. with the whole right. um, uh, the algorithm that uh, uh, tabulated the diesel, uh, right? Wasn't that right. it? Yeah, uh, exactly. This whole thing. And it's that not going to really impact any consumer's behavior. Thought. Yeah. yeah. But, and then they just paid a fine and it turns out they knew for 20 years right. that this is the case, that this was systemic in, yeah. the, in what they were the doing. cigarette manufacturer said that Yo, there was no danger gosh, yeah. or addiction of qualities the from that. Aspartame, so, all of so these yeah, things so all of that is there. That and, disprove this idea right. that this but, is... But they're basically saying that bad actors can't ruffle it is that that's how they kind of, you know, straddle it is because they say, well, yes, people are selfish and individually are going to not be trustworthy, but the system itself will keep this out. Right. But if there is a wholesale intentional um, withholding of information, right, everyone has free choice to make the best choice for them, but if you're lying to me about what the actual reality right. is then that is a con that is a criminal enterprise and that is it's a conspiracy and, and there's no other word right right well and the other issue with that is that uh if if 
um, okay, it just went out of my head. I, I swear, it just went out of my head. The Medici's. The Medici's, yes, that's exactly right. Well, we'll move on, but uh, I'm sure it'll come back in three or four numbers. Um, the next thing that you have here is number five, which is the climate change denial. Mm-hmm. You tree hugger. <laughs> come on. Uh, so this is an organized effort unique to America. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. So very quickly, uh, the idea of free market fundamentalism uh, is that whenever you point out one of these situations where, yeah. like the MCI or this, they did this wrong, the free market person will say, exactly. So it worked. Right. They that bad person yeah, they, that right. got caught. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. After yeah. 20 years and fighting this and this in court and blah, 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 blah. It's not supposed to be like that. And by the way, what about all the other ones that are still doing it right. uh, and just paying the little levied fine? All right. So yeah. I, uh, we and can even move. like the Keystone oil pipeline that's yeah. already burst and had, you know, and we're right. not even, nobody's even talking. We don't even have time to talk about that. No. That old thing. Keep looking at this shiny object. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, it, it's organized and it is unique to America. And I think it is, beca- I think it in a way is proof of this billionaire, you know, oligarchy, uh, kind of shadow state control is that, you know, most countries, even in China and India, they, they don't dispute the science. You don't see any of the leading, you know, scientific communities in any other country right. disputing this. You see scientists on the right in America disputing this. You right. see conservatives in America saying this is not an issue. Well, and not only that, but it, that it's a lie being used to manipulate you and take your money. You're being fooled. You're, you're being, being fooled conned by, by those other climate ones. Change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, and let's talk about climate change denial here. So this, an organized effort unique to America to discredit established climate science in order to prevent regulations on businesses that pollute the environment. Pretty straightforward. Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean it, it's, it's unbelievable to me yeah. that people are still fighting this whole thing, that they yeah. say things along the lines of, I, I, I have family who will say, look, the earth heats up every now and yeah. then. Yeah. You know, right. you yeah. prove me wrong. Right. I, I don't have to. The entire science community. Well, there are there are science communities. There are, you know, analysts and, and, and think tanks that, are, that you know, do the research on the other side. One of them is called the Heartland Institute. It's in Arlington Heights here in Illinois, if you want to research it. And just because it's funded by everybody that's the same as the state policy network and it's part of the Koch narrative doesn't mean they're not right when they say there is no such thing as climate right. change. I mean, again, we have to check the sources and the sources are intentionally hidden. The funders are intentionally hidden. But the Coke, Coke Industries is one of the largest polluters on the planet. You know, they have had, they've paid hundreds of millions of dollars for, for deaths, for wrongful deaths, for lawsuits, for, right. for poisonings, for people being sick, um, for misrepresentative claims for, over, over years. For people who don't know, what are some of the major industries? Do you know this of, of the Coke industries? I, you know, I don't know. They're, they're they're, I, I know they're in petroleum. I know they're in mining. You know, they're yeah. kind of all over the map. You know, actually the family, Charles Coke, made a lot more money than his dad but fred coke interestingly uh made his money uh building arm or uh, as an arms manufacturer for nazi germany in the 1930s and uh also um he did uh some uh kind of uh petrochemical in in russia yeah so it's it's all really shady but i mean it is it's pretty straightforward i mean i don't think it's that tough to see that the only group collectively that says climate change isn't happening are conservative republicans and that they are the ones whose billionaire funders don't want their businesses regulated. Well, exactly. The ones who are polluting right. want you to say, oh, the climate change isn't a thing. All right. Um, now, this one is uh, bound to uh, uh, cause a little bit of, um, of an issue. White patriarchy. 
Yeah. Uh, that's good news for all of you listening is we've got to get this all done in 10 minutes. So we're yeah. not going to spend a lot of time, you know, making this uh, uh, too the heavy. entrenched Anglo Protestant male power structure of the billionaire oligarchs efforts to elevate women and people of color within its ranks are largely symbolic. Yes. And this is what <laughs> I know. Well, originally I was putting uh, systemic racism, but one of my uh, friends who happens to have a vagina pointed out to me that, you know what? Women have been subjugated in exactly the same way. Right. And again, sure. if we look over history, the fight against the Equal Rights Amendment, which actually may be ratified 40 years later, um, is, is been coming from this same group. The fight against, um, you know, uh, civil rights, certainly uh, um, integration. All of it is, is tends to be coming from these same moneyed interests. You know, the political affiliations may change a little bit, but it's the same basic thing. And, and I think it's really important to call it white patriarchy, not only because that's kind of a buzzword. It's something we're all talking about right now. Right. But I, I think that what we'll get into is that the American experiment, right, is founded on the idea of individual liberty and self-governance by a people, right? It came out of many of the ideas of the Enlightenment in Europe, sure. right, where we came into a rational worldview. Always, always, always from the earlier, you know, from the, you know, the John Locke's, Adam Smith's, whatever, these were people that lived in an area where, uh, you know, Africans were always looked down on, right? They were always considered that. Here, right. We had slavery. We had all of these things, all of these systemic things that, you know, we talk about liberty and, oh, over time, everything is working. You know, like we just had Martin Luther King Day, right? And we hear everyone uh, on, on the right in this kind of policy combine, you know, echo chamber saying, well, why can't we just focus on the content of someone's character and not the color of their skin? You know, we're like all about Martin Luther King. So let's not <laughs> have this Black Lives Matter. You know, let's think about Martin Luther King. Well, the fact is, 30 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, they were all against civil rights. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So, so the, it's, a, it's a shifting line. But the fact is, is that, and I think this is really important, that American dream which I say is an American fever dream is predicated on the subjugation of other. That is how we built this country. And it doesn't make us bad. It doesn't make the American ideal fake. It doesn't mean we can't have liberty. It doesn't mean that white guys aren't good guys too, but it means that we cannot pretend as if this um, theoretical underpinning for our entire uh, democracy, our entire culture um, is not still being carried forward in our in our laws and our, our policies. So I, this is a huge topic, right? And uh, I think it's something I, I'd love to have a deeper conversation with you about the approach to it now that there is the knowledge of that uh, sort of systemic yes. uh, issue with it, uh, but also how to deal with it. Right. Because there's been a lot of different attempts of how to deal with it. And I personally, I think a lot of them are wrong. I think the burn it down yeah. mentality, while justified, yeah. is it the most effective? Right. How, what And I, I don't know. My feeling is, is that that's effective for getting a lot of emotions out. But is right. it effective for actually making the new system, right? Creating the new systemic right. uh, changes that we want to see. Uh, and what some of the choices are along those lines. But it's it's too big to kind of dive into at the moment. But. Right. But, you know, I think that would be a great discussion. Yeah. I'd love to have with you my, you know, um, upper middle class white friend. Right. At well, some point. I, that's exactly dude. it. It's sort of, yeah. here's two middle class white yeah, guys I know, exactly. who are looking at this. And is that voice... Yeah, uh, but but this is considered. you know this is another thing that's kind of a whole other thing, and I'll, I'll keep it really quickly. But there's another book that shows the kind of progressive side of this. You know that we hear the you know the free market economics on the on the right, but the progressive side, which you've heard, I'm sure your entire professional career is you know uh, do uh, do good by doing well, or do well by doing good. Right. right? We're going to do well by doing good. If everything's a business, it's going to be a win-win. We're going <laughs> to take care of this community. We're going to apply our business smarts, and everybody's going to play. And um, Everybody who is very wealthy and in the power structure is fine to talk about poverty, but you can't talk about inequality. 
if you want to be funded, if you want to be at a table, if you want to be part of these groups, even the progressive groups, if you want to seat at the table, you can't talk about inequality. You can talk about poverty because inequality is pointing out blame. Well, in other words, right. let's fix, let, you know what? People did things. Let's just go from there. Let's, right. not, let's not assign blame. Let's not do this. And I think you're right. It's really tricky because blowing it all up doesn't necessarily work. But the fact is, is that if these people that say you keep harping on this thing, this black, white, women, gay thing, and it's like, yes, but you have been fighting it every step of the way. Right. And you still don't give it any credence. And I think the uh, the, the power structure in the um, uh, uh, free market fundamentalists and this policy comment, they simply, not only do they refuse to ex- r- r- admit systemic racism exists, they can't. Because if it does, right. then it pr- disproves their central thesis. Exactly. Right? That a free market is self-correcting. And that's what how it all started with me was I was doing this podcast with a friend of ours, Tanya Richard. Yeah. We were talking about white fragility for this reason. And um, I saw all these weird white, you know, uh, entities, you know, outside forces going after a seminar day programming at Nutrier because it wasn't telling both sides of civil rights. Yeah. Right. Well, I, it, it, like I say, it's a lo- so it's a larger it. conversation. Yeah, yeah, but it's absolutely a part of this. Uh, the seventh one, um, moral inversion, uh, advancing one's own selfish interests is equated with individual liberty and held up as proper morality, which is uh, a direct perversion of Judeo-Christian principles. Mm-hmm. And inversion. And, and I know we're getting out on time here. I can p- make this one pretty tight. We've heard of Ayn Rand. Ayn yeah. Rand's philosophy, basically, she was like a darling of the 50s when yeah. this came out. And the Fountainhead and all this stuff. Paul Ryan said she's the reason she oh, went yeah. into politics. There are Ayn Rand's so many belief, people. the central belief is that that uh, all humans are inherently selfish right. in all things. And so the only real way to be virtuous is to be honest about yourself and selfishness and to make rational decisions based in your own personal self-interest. And that is a theory that's called objectivism. Yep. And it became the root of everything we see right now. The only problem is it is the antithesis of Christian thought because they use it to say Which is so in- funny. Why? Yeah. How can this possibly be? How, how can you hold these two thoughts in your yeah, head at the same right. time? Yeah, They're diametrically opposed yeah and yet they make this blanket statement they use it as a proof is if everybody is selfish then by nature government is this is where the deep state come from you can't trust anybody in government because they're using tax dollars for their own gain they have their own interests they want to stay in office they want to do this now in anecdotally individually does that happen sure imagine it does but if you extrapolate that argument to the to all reaches then you you can't ever trust a preacher you can't be part of a church you know right. you can't trust the doctors you can't trust you know uh, uh health organizations you know what i mean it is it is this um cynical cynical and dangerous worldview that says well everybody's you know morally ambiguous and so hillary clinton equals donald trump right and here we are today yeah well, and it's exactly what you're talking about in terms of what happened in the 50s too, right? In terms of that growth, sort of, I mean, it, I could compare it to a growth of a cancer uh, that started growing back in the 50s as a as opposition to this sort of communal growth where right. every all boats rise uh, yeah. to the individual growth, which is detrimental to the to the group to the community right but it's it can be very beneficial to the individual mm-hmm. so it's a uh, yeah. yeah yes um, all right all right number eight asymmetrical political warfare uh, dishonesty divisive rhetoric gerrymandering and voter suppression are essential strategies because nearly all Americans reject the true shadow state agenda yeah we talked about that before right yeah I think I think the idea of what that is and what that looks like and and and, and the effectiveness that it's being used today, which technology has helped. I mean, bringing right. up Cambridge Analytica again right. in terms of being able to target per group, per town, per 
social circle, right? right? Yeah. Uh, and and how they were able to do that, and how the yeah. Russians were able to do that as well, and targeting yeah. that across the country for and the election. When you have this policy combine that is working in lockstep across dozens of entities in you know multiple disciplines that are all going from the same narrative, that's the asymmetric part, right? Right. It's exactly. not like you know. Um, my side does it, your side does it. I mean, it's 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 such a difference of degree right. that it becomes a difference of kind, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah, one yeah. thing is not like the other. Jaywalking versus murder as crime. crime. Uh, yeah, we, we, we had... We had did we talk about that? It we talked about the last, last episode. time. Yeah, that anyway. last episode, which if you haven't listened to, it's a hoot nanny. It's probably a lot better than this it's one. A lot, uh, we can say that at this point in the proceedings. Fun. Yeah, right? if you've sit through this much yeah. of it, yeah. All right. Okay, Go listen well, to that other one again. We'll finish up. Uh, the Trojan Elephant. Uh, money corrupts both political parties equally, but the policy combine has weaponized traditional conservative politics and hijacked the once grand old party. Uh, so is that not evident that to me is one of the biggest things. Right. When you see these sort of old line Republicans who right. have uh, a belief in uh, truly what conservatism is, right. is this idea of not spending so much money right. so that we can pay off the deficit, pay off the debt, and and run on a, a sort of more equal basis. Right. As opposed to what it is now, which yeah. is, um, it, I mean, warped. I feel like we're in the upside down. Well, and you've seen them all go. That's exactly a great way of putting it. I call it bizarro world, but the upside yeah. down is even better. I mean, you know, I'm from Indiana. We had Dick Luger for years and years. I'm not a conservative, you know. Right. I viewed him as a Republican statesman who I wasn't really in line with his policies, but everybody respected him, you know. Yeah. Everybody respected him, and he was primaried in Indiana. Now, that's happened probably in whatever state you're listening from, right? Sure. This radicalization of the GOP into these kind of Tea Party-esque, you know, mindsets you know, the Freedom Caucus, again, freedom and liberty right. um, coming in to basically steamroll over any established uh, Republicans, any statesmanship or any level of moderation. And, and the credo is no compromise. Or cooperation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No compromise, which is what politics is. Right. That is what politics is all about. It's supposed to be about compromise. You're supposed to get something. I'm supposed to get something on both sides of the aisle. We may not get everything we want, but we we... By doing that, we're helping the largest amount of people in the country. Right, exactly. And that is completely yeah. out the window now. And there has to be some degree of self-sacrifice to live in any community. Right. Whether it's your family, your neighborhood, you know, your school group, whatever it is. That's, that's, we all have to be willing to, uh, be, no, to sacrifice somewhat for the part of the I good. want everything for me. Screw everybody else. Yeah, right. The servant king. Yeah. Oh, no, wait. That's hey, something no, different. that's yeah. completely wrong. Yeah, exactly. All right, and last but not least, actually, something that we've talked a, a little bit about in terms of how it's being weaponized. Uh, is game theory, uh, which is uh, a theoretical discipline not based on empirical data that rejects all compromise in pursuit of the final goal, the elimination of government and the end of majority rule. Yeah, seems crazy, seems heavy, but this is actually what we're talking about. This is what is going on here. And again, it's somewhat along the line of these uh, this uh, free market um, things. That spun out into the guy who really was kind of the brilliant linchpin for all of this that Nancy McLean talks about is an, is an economist named James M. Buchanan. And he uh, went from free market economics to uh, what they called uh, behavioral economics, political choice, public choice economics, these types of things of how do we run algorithms and game theory. Like if you remember, did you see A Beautiful Mind with Russell yep, Crowe? Right. There's like the scene where they're in the bar with the two buddies and it's like the three women come in and it's like, what should we do? Should we all hit on the hot one? Should we? And he writes up an algorithm of how most how of it, go we're going to do this is we nobody hits on her. We all go for something different and it's all going to work out, right? Yeah. And that's the basis of it. So like that is really game theory. 
Yeah. You know, that is a, a crystal clear example of game theory. And that, and that I can't remember what the guy's actual name was, but that guy was one of the, the original ones in it. So it's really a logical exercise, right? It's not based in empirical data. It's not based in any historical precedent. It is based in a, a kind of a very tight, a formal, uh, logical structure. And when James M. Buchanan uh, wrote one of his seminal things in the 70s, this uh, um, essay called the, the, the Samaritan's Dilemma, his basic notion was that we have to look at everything in terms of selfish actors, again, the Ayn Rand thing, right? right. That are looking for personal utility. I mean, everybody's out for their own gain. So if someone's walking down the road, the Samaritan has to think, oh, maybe this guy's trying to cheat me. And, and how do I know this? And they like a sign of value, like a plus one or a minus one. Yeah, how right. you do it. But it gets into this big mathematical thing that is theoretical economics now that then becomes the map for how everybody behaves. But it's all on personal selfishness. And in fact, one of the things that I think is so skewed is that when he created this first grid, he called it the Samaritan and the Parasite. Ah. Right? That's how it's described. Yeah. So the bias is cooked into it. So that's important. And then the last thing that I think is really important and illustrative of where we are now is that it is highly iterative. The idea of game theory is that you play rounds over and over and over over time and that this outcome is achieved right. so that whenever you are in for instance a, a, a thing now where we're maybe talking about what climate change can we do to try to solve this particular problem or what regulations can we put in for gun control those who are wanting to have a sensible uh, um, uh, solution for this moment and this factor have no chance because the game theorists who have taken over the Republican Party are iterative no holds barred I don't give up ever and I win some I lose some but over but time on, on total yeah yeah and so uh, it is a relentless pursuit of the ultimate agenda which is less regulation less government privatized everything and a, a more disproportionate uh, wealth inequality yeah. you know in this these few hands that's a happy thought to end things on, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, so drive safe, everybody. <laughs> Good times. Um, yeah, it is. But, it, you know, there's lots of things to talk about here. It doesn't have to be all gloom and doom. Uh, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, Jeff, we were delighted. Any final thoughts here before we uh, send well, everyone on I, their way? I, I think the, the scary part about this to me is the idea that it becomes, it's such a huge kind of thought that it's too much. I have yeah. to shut down. And so right. it has to be done in these bite-sized sort of pieces, these 10 steps. And when you can look at each one individually mm-hmm. and and understand that there are people who are looking at this and playing a game that you don't know you're a part of. Um, right. And we don't realize as the frogs in the pot that the temperature is being raised, right? right? And so it's important to take a look at this, even though it's a little challenging because mm-hmm. these are big thoughts. And I don't mean that, I mean that in a, you know, uh, a pedantic way of, of, of yeah, no, I you know, know insulting mean. people, but yeah. I mean, how often do we really sit back and think on a theoretical level about existence on the planet? Not a lot. No. Right. It's, it's that part of it is really hard work, but in doing that work, you get, I think some of the truths um, that this is leading to. And even if you don't believe in all of it, mm-hmm. there are some nuggets here that will help, I think, inform uh, just sort of uh, outlooks and viewpoints and perspectives. I hope that's the case. That's why I want to do it this way. And I think you're right on and it's great chatting with you. Are you a baby boomer or a Gen Xer? I'm a Gen Xer. Oh, good. Okay, good. Because I, mean, I was going to cool say, I am. you do have that kind of hip thing. Well, yeah. you're cynical at the, at the end of the day, which is, you know, that's our, I think our that's our gift. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's in our DNA. But that's it too, is it's these 
pardon my French, these fucking baby boomers once again. Like, people have to be able to look at this, right? Now right. we have, we see this country, we have so many people that are going into retirement, all these things that are being taxed and whatever. We have to think about our kids, you know? You have a daughter, I have kids. We yeah. have to think about our kids, our grandkids, you know? The children of the world are screaming out because they know that the temperature is rising, right? Well, uh, and yeah. they have to do that. But in order for us to make any significant change is that we all that are 50 and over are going to have to take a little bit of time to look and say, wait a minute, am I sacrificing the good of the people I love for my own personal comfort? Right. You know, not only in my own personal life, but, but collectively, you know, do we have an obligation as American people? Is there an ideal of, uh, you know, of, of, you know, we, the people that is, I often think that could we put together the sort of manpower and will that we did during world war two and, and, right. and give up s sacrifice so much yeah. uh, nylons, chocolates, uh, I mean, just disposable items like that, but uh, things along the tires, uh, cars, uh, and, and go to work in, in jobs that are terrible and, and very difficult and right. all of those things in order to support a higher cause. Do we have that? now could we do that now if that were the case and i i'm not a hundred percent sure anymore well i think this is a good point to end on because I, I what i would leave you with is the thought that if you tried to present that now as an idea it would be shot down as bullshit social justice warrior yeah right. cynical because you know what anybody who's not for their own greed is not um, you know, being honest. Then they're not being honest. Yeah. And so I think that is the corrosive quality of this uh, moral inversion. Right. That is, that is really baked into the cake um, of the uh, of the, the attack on democracy. So anyway, uh, that's the lighter point. To you, Jeff, I <laughs> Good times. Light, fun-hearted yeah. look at. I'm so glad you came over, Jeff. I've been doing this all by myself for three years. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, please join the discussion. Save us from ourselves. Yeah. Save Jeff from me. Join, uh, see us on Facebook uh, at the Long Con Pod. Uh, tweet at us at Long Con Pod. Uh, we'd love to talk more. And uh, we, we promise that even though, you know, uh, we're going to hell in a basket, we'll try to have some laughs along the way. Yeah.